For travelers, Mexico can be more than beach resorts with predictable sun and cheap tequila. It can be a fascinating cultural adventure that broadens our perspectives. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. On today's program, I'm joined by two friends who've spent their lives helping Norte Americanos get to know and appreciate our neighbors south of the border. Since the 1970s, Carl Franz and Lorena Havens have been our country's gurus of Mexican travel. Traveling wherever the spirit leads them with just enough cash to keep their VW van going, they've kept lively notes on their experiences and created what Harper's Magazine calls the best guidebook to adventure in the entire world. Their classic People's Guide to Mexico is 35 years old now and out in an updated 13th edition. Well, there's a lot of changes, but we just recently got a letter, put it up on the website from a guy who's traveling just like we did back in the early 70s. Stay with us as we get a People's Guide to Mexico from Carl Franz and Lorena Havens. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now, I want to experience authentic Mexican culture. Anybody can fly down to Mazatlan and go for a swim and, and, and have a taco, but I want to talk about really connecting with Mexican culture, and that can be a challenge for a lot of us gringos. I've got with me, I think, America's leading experts in this particular challenge, Carl Franz and Lorena Havens. They're the co-authors of The People's Guide to Mexico. Carl and Lorena, thanks for uh, being here. Great, Great to see you again, Rick. Yeah. You guys have just spent a, a lifetime, basically, enjoying Mexico and not enjoying the museums and, and uh, buildings of Mexico so much as really getting into the culture of Mexico. And what I'd like to do is go through a lot of uh, fun little glimpses of Mexican culture. I've just been brainstorming of some of the uh, ideas, the little images I've got of Mexico. And really, that's what Mexican travel is all about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. definitely. Absolutely. So um, sleeping in a hammock. Oh, my favorite way. If there wasn't mosquitoes, it'd be the most perfect way to do it. It's comfortable. You have to lay on it diagonally. Uh, you have to have a blanket underneath you because it can get a little bit cold because air coming up underneath you. But the comfort of having the hammock sort of swing back and forth is a great way to spend it. really works. Night. Spend oh, a whole night. You can sleep a good night in a hammock. If you oh, get a absolutely. good, comfortable one, yeah. it can be more comfortable than any bed. And you sleep diagonally, and you have a blanket for the underdraft. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you do have that breeze and so on. It's probably yeah. better than in a hot climate. And you absolutely have to have strong ropes tying it up because I've fallen a few times and man, it hurts. Well, psychologically, it's tough to relax in a hammock if yeah. you're ready to drop. Right. And so you've right. got to have that confidence. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, festivals, firecrackers, bottle rockets. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen more fireworks on, yeah. on the holidays yeah. in the third world. Every day, about. every night. It's not the revolution. We've heard of tourists hiding in the closet because of uh, the rockets going off. Lorraine and I counted over 400 aerial bombs, and I'm talking serious aerial bombs, in less than one hour in one single fiesta. Now, that may be a world record. And these are two-bit little fiestas or once-a-year thing? No, this is the annual birthday party for a, a small town. Huh. But these are serious fireworks. This was also the 10th day of the celebration, and these had been going on for 10 days. Do these kids, they don't have a lot of money, but I've noticed these little kids, they're just like street urchins, and they've got like a 50 bucks worth of firecrackers, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it's not just the kids, it's the adults. Yeah. But the other part of firecrackers are every fiesta has what they call castles, where they build these big, you know, three, four, five-story scaffolds wow. with all kinds of fireworks. Ready to blow blow up and they do it in, you know, one after another. Some are spinners, some are They're things amazing. that fly up. Some are yeah. things. I've seen dads with, looks like ping pong paddles retrofitted to be bottle rocket launchers. Yeah. And yeah. they hold these paddles and they can <laughs> right. just launch these rockets. Yeah. And I tell you, I, the closest I've ever been to be blinded by a firecracker was yeah. down in, uh, in Mexico. Mexican time. <laughs> well, mañana, which means someday in the future, not today. Is a, you know, it is really your basic attitude. It's not the hurry. There's not it has to get done. It's how it gets done. It fits into its proper time. And, you know, there are other things come up that may delay it. Because for me, time is money. We spend it. We invest it. We waste it. We bank it even. Not that way in Mexico. No, it isn't. And it's interesting that in, in Mexican culture, family and friend relationships are more important than money. And that means that time devoted to the family is more important wow. than time devoted to the work. 
family and friends trumps other appointments. Yeah, now. without yeah. and that can be frustrating to a gringo visiting. Oh, Absolutely, particularly if you think wow. you have an appointment or something. Yeah. Wow. How many times have I said to my family, "I can't because I've got to work." So that doesn't happen so readily no. down there. Not down no. there. Uh-huh. Rick, if I could take a slight jump, we were in Belize, and I finally figured out the time schedule down there. They figured how much money they needed to live on a day. They figured how long it took them to earn that, and that's what they worked. People worked two hours a day. We were there a couple different times. And that was all, no matter what you tried to do, when the two hours were up, they were through working for the day. What a concept. Very healthy. Very healthy. They figure out what they need to subsist, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's their lot. They're, that, they're like the little birds that St. Francis would feed. Yeah, and <laughs> I remember, you know, once we were getting ready to travel and we had more laundry that needed done, and she'd all do it tomorrow. This Blessed is... are those who don't toil. I think it even <laughs> says something about that, okay? Okay, uh, bullfighting. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Not my department. No. I didn't say politically yeah, correct. Or no, really. I said bullfighting. I know really. it's not politically correct, but uh, what goes on? Yeah, it's basically an extended torment of an angry animal. And uh, So it still happens in Mexico like in Spain? It still happens. In fact, I happened to uh, see on the Internet that some protesters in Mexico were throwing rotten food at people going into a bullfight. I was shocked wow. because it's really the national sport. Still. Well, soccer and bullfighting. Bullfighting is, is really a, a mainstream thing in, in Mexico still, huh? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, then it's not kept alive by tourist patronage. No. In fact, I don't think there's very few tourists who would go back a second or third right. time. But if you are concerned about it, you don't need to feel guilty that you're keeping it alive because you're doing it. That is one reason no, not no. to do it. No. So if you're curious about it, it's going to happen. You'll see it on TV in the bars, I suppose. It's kind of like if you don't watch hockey games, don't feel bad because somebody will be out there on the ice. Okay, the paseo. Uh, in a plaza, I know that what the boys circle clockwise and the girls circle counterclockwise. I can never remember which direction they go, but <laughs> but that's the scene. They're still doing it with one slight difference. They're all listening to iPods. <laughs> <laughs> but they have this paseo where everybody's out. In the, is yeah. it before dinner or after dinner? It's in the evening. Yeah. yeah. It's a flirting ritual, really. I've seen it in Spain, too. And young and old, the yeah. guys are circulating one way, the girls are circling uh-huh. the other, and it's like, uh, let's just be out and people watch. Yeah. I think it's another example of how personal Mexico is. People talk to their neighbors, they talk to strangers, and in, in the paseo, in the plaza, here you've got these two counter-revolving flows of people looking at each other and looking for any opportunity to make contact, to chat, or just to wink. Do you say, in, in, uh, in Italy they say bella and bello for beautiful and beautiful for boys and girls. Do they do any sort of... Tell uh, them about uh, the jokes. Well, they have, in, in Mexico, there are sayings that the boys, they're called piropos, sort of a toss out at the, at the girls and... and <laughs> <laughs> well, As I, can't, circulating, th- so I can't think of any that I should repeat. But there are comments on how appealing they about might the be. Bir- huh? About the birds. But they, have, they often have a barb. So you might say, you have the body of a bird, and if she responds with a smile, then you, you say something complimentary. But if she gives you the cold shoulder, then you say something like, bony arms and a big rear end. <laughs> <laughs> that must be an interesting scene. You'll see this on traditional colonial plazas, or, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the main squares. Huh? And right. Sunday night's the main night, but it could happen, you know, Sunday night. night, so be out for there for the paseo. Machismo. Alive and well, uh, not as bad as it used to be because, you know, Mexico is coming more, more modern. But still, as a woman, I have to always be aware of it. You know, I have to not make contact with men's eyes when I'm walking, if I'm by myself. Eye contact could get him to think that you're interested and he'd be following you if you oh, didn't want absolutely. to follow you. Right. You know? Machismo between men, really, the thing to avoid is challenging people Provoking in any a driver. way. Right. For example, let's say you're walking in the plaza on Saturday night and a drunk stumbles into you. In Mexico, you don't call somebody an idiot and push them away. You shrug and go on your way. You avoid confrontation because confrontation, when it happens, can get ugly fast because of machismo. Machismo. What about gestures? Do we have uh, people giving you gestures like you get a lot in Southern Europe where they're tugging their eyelid or they're... Yeah, yeah. For example, uh, like you just did, pointing at your eye would be watch out or it would say somebody's very sharp. It can be... So he's very clever or beware. Exactly. 
What's a couple other gestures you should know on the streets of Mexico? Hit, someone hits your elbow, hits yeah. their elbow, means that person's a cheapskate. So I, I'm holding my, my, like my fist up to my shoulder, and then the other hand I'm tapping the bottom. Yeah. Oh, that's cheapskate. Yeah. It uh, means cheapskate. you're like, from Monterey, which is also synonymous with being a cheapskate. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. yeah. Why, why is that? I don't know. Wow. National pride, big flags, pledge of allegiance, all this sort of thing. What goes on in Mexico that way? I'd say that's a that's a huge thing. Mexicans are very proud of Mexico. Yeah, you'll see displays of that everywhere. Uh, it used to be that they put uh, Mexican flags on the sides of mountains, painted on rocks and things. They no longer allow that. Flag Day is a major holiday. Okay, so there it, is sort of proud to be Mexican, oh, and Mexican feeling. But in I think it's it's not like you know this thing of you got to prove you're a patriot. It's just. They love being Mexicans. They're just so proud of it. You know, it's not like something you have to demonstrate. It comes out. When we're thinking about Mexico, there's so many cliches that we have north of the border. What are the cliches about Mexico that you find Americans have, and what do they actually find? What are the most, uh, like... Well, I'll tell you the one I dislike the most, and mm -hmm. that is that Mexicans uh, don't have much ambition, that they're lazy. You know, one of the oldest ones, the image of the the guy dozing in the sun uh, mm -hmm. against a building with his sombrero tipped over his head, you know where that actually comes from is that people got up at 3 and 4 in the morning to go to work, and when the sun came out, hey, it was lunchtime for them at dawn, so they'd go outside, maybe some guy who's been, you know, slinging bricks since 4 or 5 in the morning, and he dozes off for an hour, and then he goes back to work. People in Mexico work from dawn or before dawn, and they don't go home often until 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. In Mexico now, we're getting more to the 8 to 5 o'clock kind of thing. In much of Mexico, shopkeepers, etc., stay open until 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and that means that their employees go to work, open up the store, and they're there until 7 or 8 at night. That's a long day. They work a half-day Saturday. So... That one really ticks me off. What's another cliche that Americans have? Well, that you can't trust them to do what they say they're going to do. And that has to do with a way of life. Like your family is more important than a foreigner. And I've told this man over here that I'm going to meet him at noon. And my sister-in-law calls me and her kid's sick. Which commitment am I going to keep? Hmm. Well, I'm going to take the kid to the hospital, you know, and I'll talk to him later. Even the language... Like, I don't say, I dropped the glass. I would say in Spanish, the glass fell. If it isn't something I do intentionally, there's no hmm. blame. Wow. So you can psychoanalyze the culture a bit in the, the Absol language. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that when people talk about how much Mexico has changed, superficially it's changed tremendously in urban areas. But the culture, the basic culture and values has not changed. And that's... That's Mexico's great strength. Hoy día luna, día pena. Hoy me levanto sin razón. Hoy me levanto y no llego a ninguna destinación. There's mucho más on our People's Guide to Mexico with Carl and Lorena, coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. We'll take some calls later in the hour. And you can continue the conversation online anytime in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
Carl Franz and Lorena Havens are the authors of The People's Guide to Mexico, and they're our guests today on Travel with Rick Steves. All right, let's talk a little food, juice bars. Oh, yeah, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. It's that's my, that's my, one of my memories. Tell me about yeah. your juice bar. Uh, yeah, it's fantasies. kind of like espresso stands in in Seattle. I mean, there's there's a juice bar on every corner and probably one in the middle of the block, and you can get these fabulous concoctions. You can go in and order anything you want. You want papaya and alfalfa with some beet juice in it? They'll be glad to whip it up. So, uh, a favorite of mine is carrot, beet juice, and and celery. Maybe a little parsley or alfalfa in it. Or you can get, like, mango and uh, a peach juice or uh, apple and pear. I mean, anything you can think of, they'll well, you, make for you. What would you pay for a tall, fresh-squeezed juice in dollars these days? I'd say 2 to $4, and that's for a, a major concoction in a large glass. Okay. Yeah. But you can get a fresh orange juice in a tall glass now on street corners for as little as a dollar, even maybe a bit less, depending on where you are in Mexico. Street food. Excellent, but be careful. Eat it in the morning before mm. it's had time to sit around and pick up some bacterias. They've done many studies on street food, and the biggest hazard in street food is usually the hot sauce, a homemade hot sauce on the side or meat that has sat around all day. This is where being a vegetarian is a definite advantage. Yeah. All yeah. right, so you need to be a little savvy if you're buying street food in Mexico these days. And it used to be when Carl yeah. ate a lot more meat, he would... I never got sick, and he would. And that's what we finally realized was the difference, was he was I mean, eating things with meat in it. All right. And as a vegetarian, what are your challenges down there? Is Well, a lot less than it used to be, because vegetarianism is becoming at least well-known. There's a yeah. lot of vegetarian restaurants, but even now I can go into a restaurant and say, I'm a vegetarian, can you fix me something, and they'll come up with something. It used to be they didn't have a clue what you were talking about. I remember being mesmerized by the old-school tortilla makers. Yeah. You mean making them by hand? No, these machines. They oh, look the like machine. industrial age. Oh, yeah. Like. yeah. As, as a matter of fact, if you want to pick up an outrageous souvenir, I think you can get a, a pretty good homemade, you know, small mechanical tortilla machine probably for 100 bucks. Yeah. You can crank out some delicious tortillas. I was just in El Salvador, and the people called themselves the people of corn. Are, are Mexican, all Latin Americans people of corn? Or is corn no, a big part of the culture? Not throughout Latin America, but especially in Mexico, especially. Well, corn well, is. they like to say that corn was discovered in Mexico, and that may in fact be true because they've traced the origin to the highlands of Mexico. But, for example, if a corn seed falls in the middle of the freeway in the, in the median and sprouts, they will not cut it down. Or on a construction site? Yeah. In a park? Why is that? It's, it is such a powerful symbol to Mexicans. Literally, it's sacred. And much of Mexico's agricultural land is planted in corn, even though now with, uh, with NAFTA, et cetera, they're importing corn mm. for less than Mexicans can grow it. One of the most poignant sites I saw in Latin America was in El Salvador since they lost, the people lost their civil war. There's no more political murals, but there's paintings of people's heads coming out of stalks of corn. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and they call themselves the people of corn. And wow. when you see that, you know that's somebody who would be inclined to paint a political mural, but he's not allowed. But they're just celebrating their indigenous exactly. pride. Yeah. But one of the sad things about the change in Mexico is homemade tortillas, the handmade tortillas, are not common anymore. Hmm. It's a tortilla stand. You go up and you buy them every afternoon. I mean, when you think of how much work they were, you can understand it. But there's places where it's almost impossible to find hand homemade tortillas. We're uh, pretty crazy about good coffee north of the border. Can you get good coffee in Mexico? Uh, unfortunately, uh, not as easily now as you can get it in the United States. Mexicans typically will drink a cup in the morning. You know, the It's instant coffee. Instant, yeah. That's what my memory is, too. Yeah, instant coffee everywhere. Driving at night. Uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> it's scary. Why? Everything you see during the day is going to be there at night but without lights. But if you ever had to drive at night, the toll roads would be the least dangerous. Okay. Basically because they have fences on them so the cattle aren't going to be wandering in and out. And there's a lot less traffic. Fortunately, it used to be in the so-called good old days that at night many Mexicans drove without headlights. I remember that. Why, yeah. why would that be? Because they said it was easier to see the other vehicle that had headlights on. And I think you can see the contradiction there. 
and it led to some people would turn their lights on as I passed them. Just yeah, you know, exactly. Scary. To sort of acknowledge you. Okay, yeah. so don't drive after dark. It's really not if wise. you can avoid it. Also, most the roads that aren't the toll roads are very narrow. If you have an accident, you have a problem. There's no place to pull off on a lot of the roads. Oh, that could make a bad thing worse. Yeah, yeah. Car repair. Just about wherever you can think of, you'll find what's called a taller, a little auto shop. You can pull in, and believe me, if they can't fix it, they have a brother-in-law who will. Really? The only problem is you've got one of these fancy new cars. It's all computer. That's tough. Correct. But other than that, it's just amazing what can happen. Just their creativity, really, yeah. to, mm-hmm. to uh, jerry-rig everything. When I was in the Yucatan, every time there was a lot of speed bumps when I'd go through these towns. <laughs> and there's always a little tire repair shop right next to the speed bump yeah. place. And those speed bumps are everywhere. I have to tell you a little car repair story, one of my favorites. The transmission went out. The clutch went out on our Volkswagen van, which was sort of a regular event. We were in the middle of nowhere in northern Chihuahua. Sunday afternoon, I thought, oh, no. Two guys stopped in a pickup truck in their Sunday go to meet and close. They towed us back onto the highway because we'd pulled off and got stuck on top of everything else. Then they led us. They showed me how to shift without using the clutch. They led us to the next town, which was like 70 miles away. The guy took the clutch out of his wife's car and put it in our van. We camped in their front yard overnight. We left the next day, and he charged me. $30. Wow. That Whoa. was a long time ago, but the gives point you an is idea you of what, what's available. Hitchhiking. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure, without a doubt. Don't do what a couple of young friends of ours did and take a ride on a chili pepper truck. They sat on top of a load of chili peppers for a couple of hours, and I don't think they walked straight for a week afterwards. <laughs> Are there still people, vagabonds, hitchhiking around Mexico? Yeah, not as much as before because, uh, you know, that's one of the changes that you see in Mexico. You don't, you don't see people hitching as much. Mm-hmm. But in the back country, on, on side roads, when you get into the small villages, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of hitching. And it's a courtesy. People pick it's you a, up. You know, in the developing yeah. world, I find the, the more remote you are, the more developing and poor it is, the more it is just a courtesy. Anything rolling with, with room on it will let you hop on. On the other hand, Absolutely. if you're really remote... They may charge you for hitching because that's transportation in the neighborhood. Sure, yeah. So if we're talking about just exploring Mexico away from all the tourism and everything, you'll find uh, buses connecting most towns. Is that the primary way to get around? It's one of the miracles of the Mexican transportation system is that there is a bus going everywhere there is a road and many places where there isn't much of a road. I love that. I've been in many countries where you just, you want to go in an hour, there's a bus leaving from here to every point in the compass yeah, from there. Yeah, it's it's definitely that way. And people, we often get emails saying, I can't find the schedules. When do they go? Mm-hmm. It doesn't oh, matter. Just go show up and there will be a bus going where you want to go sooner or later. I find that's what, I, as a travel writer, I always want to put it on a chart, you know, and I, yeah. I was in Turkey and it's the same situation in Turkey. The buses are marvelous. And I ask a guy, I said, I'm making a bus schedule so I can make a chart and I was going to show all these points and how many buses there are a day and how long it takes and how much it costs. He looked at me like I was crazy. You know, well, there's buses everywhere. Why do you need a schedule? They're <laughs> exactly. leave all the time. What's, what's, the, what's your problem? I'm talking with Carl Franz and Lorena Havens. They are the co-authors of The People's Guide to Mexico. It's been out now for 30 years. It's in its 13th edition. If you want to learn more about Carl and Lorena's work, their website is peoplesguide.com, peoplesguide.com. I'm just uh, reviewing some of my images of Mexico with Carl Lorena, some questions, some uh, cliches, getting some insight from uh, Carl Lorena, who spent uh, half of their adult life living in Mexico. Scams. I think, in general, you're going to be safer in Mexico than you are in the States. We hear an awful lot of people who, say, drive down to Mexico, who get robbed in their brother-in-law's driveway the night before they cross the border. Uh, You get robbed in the airport on the way down. Personally, I think it's safer. So However, no banditos as a, and this sort of thing? The banditos, no, no. But, you know, when you're out and about, you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to watch your stuff in the airports. You've got to watch it in crowds. You've got to watch, you know, at a bus station. Uh, you've got to be careful. But in all the years we've lived in Mexico, we've only been really robbed once. All right. Political stability. Very stable and very unpredictable, very interesting. It's a big soap opera. 
especially in the year or two going up to, running up to the presidential election. Uh, Do they elect their president every four years? Every what? six years. Every six years. Okay. And they so, only get one term. Interesting. Yeah. Now, you said very stable but unpredictable. What do you mean? Unpredictable in the sense that, for example, Mexico has really only been what, what we might call a democracy now for six years because hmm. previously it was over 70 years of one party and they controlled Mexico with a chokehold. Now that's wide open and there's... It's one. now quite the free-for-all. And so wow. it's a Mexican-style democracy. But it's and a healthy no democracy as far as... It's, yeah, it's quite healthy, but no one quite knows hmm. how it's going to shake out. Beggars, pickpockets. You know, there's, a, again, a lot of people think that beggars in Mexico are doing it in order to, uh, you know, make the payments on the BMW around the corner. Uh, Not true. Right. Not true. I'd say... Err on the side of generosity. Uh, if what's, you don't, what's your personal standard then when you're in Mexico? You I don't out. ever give money to kids. Right. I don't want to be encouraging that. Right. Personally, I always give money to old ladies. I figure it's my karmic insurance policy. <laughs> that's very good. That's a, that's a good standard. Crossing the U.S. border. It's much, much easier. Now, which direction are we talking about? From Mexico to the U.S. It's not much, much easier. It's much, much more difficult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. No. It's easy to go south. Yeah. It's easy to go into Mexico. It's getting much more difficult to come back. Well, now passports are required for Americans traveling to Mexico and Central America. And that's a, that's a big, big change and a very unwelcome change. We really don't know how that's going to how that's going to unwelcome by by Mexicans. It's unwelcome by American travelers well, because of a family, for example, a family of four. Even if you have a baby in arms, that baby has to have a passport. Well, same thing for going up to Canada. It's yeah. it's Canada is concerned about their tourist trade from American visitors because less people have passports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. TV. Oh yeah. Well, following the American model, really. I like, to, I like to scan the dial on Mexican television when I'm in a hotel. They really like very silly slapstick programs, uh, heart-wringing soap operas. So uh, that, not my cup of tea, really. <laughs> well, I probably should also say that we don't even have a TV in the state, so we're not really you're up not on this one. You're not, you're not <laughs> that, right. Air conditioning. <laughs> well, not, let's go back one. Heat. Heat. Okay, good. Mexicans do not have heat. It's yeah. not consider. We have friends. Who, it freezes, wow. and they don't have a heater in their house. You just put on more clothes and shiver. And this is recently. There was this last winter, some major below freezing temperatures in northern Mexico. People no were heat. dying. There's no heat. It's wow. just not a concept to have heat in your home. And then, sort of obviously, no air conditioning either. Well, the wealthier people have air conditioning, but everybody else sits out on the porch and talks with the neighbors, you know, and, and enjoys the heat, actually. Zona Rosa, Mexico City. Actually, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of, that's sort of the tourist zone in the yeah. center. Very tony. I mean, it's a nice place to walk that's around. That's where I was comfortable walk. while I was in Mexico City. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's an interesting area, especially for those of us who live out in the sticks in the States. It's very cosmopolitan. Right. Very international. and Nice and, place for walking. Yeah, certainly worth a look. Bribery culture. Uh, decreasing rapidly, hmm. very rapidly, especially for tourists. It used to be that, well, in our book, we had elaborate instructions on how to, to give bribes, what the signals were, etc. We're toning that way down because now it's very possible if you offer someone a bribe, that you could get slapped with a fine or get severely hassled. You so. know, I get a sense that in 30 years there's been some major changes oh, in yeah. how you would write a sort of a people's guide or just a vagabond's guide, a, a uh -huh. rough-edged, honest, frank guide to Mexico. Things like bribery, not such a big deal anymore. No, no. You know, Mexico has gotten so much easier for the traveler. doesn't matter whether you have money or don't have money. Right. The bus system, we don't have passenger trains now in Mexico. But the highways, the tollways, mm -hmm. again, the bus system is just miraculous. Telephones, internet, etc. It's easy to travel around Mexico, whereas 35 years ago, there were no road signs in Mexico. 
that's a big change. Carl mentioned cell phones. Uh, Mexico still has lousy phone service. It's almost impossible to get a new phone in most areas. You can wait months or years to get a Mm. phone. Everybody's got a cell phone. Literally, the guy who comes out of the back country on a burrow has a cell phone on his pocket. Wow. Brothels. Uh, that's ancient history for us. <laughs> I didn't say Carl and brothels. I said brothels. Uh, prostitution is legal, isn't it? Yeah, it is legal. And in fact, uh, not long ago, I read that they were establishing a new red light zone near the city of Chihuahua. And part of the reason is that Mexico is very progressive on the control and treatment of AIDS. Right. Even though they have a big problem in a macho culture where the spread of AIDS is very hard to, to slow down. So they're very proactive in that. Very regard. proactive. They've, they've been recognized internationally as being really? very, very good in that regard. You wrote in your book, I believe, that uh, the brothels from a tourist point of view were more funny and surrealistic than they were erotic. Well... And that was my experience, certainly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, a tourist could go. I mean, these exist oh, yeah. for these macho oh, local yeah. guys. I no, mean, it's they, part of life. You can and go you'll in see there. it on the edge of towns now, the, what, what we town. call the no-tell motel. Right. Uh, you'll see those no-tell motels, and you'll see nightclubs that are three, four miles out of town in the middle of a cornfield, and you right. wonder, what's that doing there? Well, it's a brothel nightclub. And, and it's legal. It's legal. And if a curious tourist wanted to go there and have a drink, it wouldn't be dangerous? No, it would not be dangerous from a, a safety. From a safety yeah. point of view. I want to talk just in practical terms now, and, and we're going to wear just the American tourist hat here for a few minutes. You guys used to lead tours. I know that. <laughs> I know there must have been some frustrations getting Americans to fit your ideals about how we uh, gringos should enjoy Mexico. Uh, what have some of your frustrations been in that regard? You know, one of the most difficult things is getting people just simply to relax, simply relax. Go out into the street, meet Mexicans face-to-face, but don't try always to to be a tourist. Just simply be yourself. Maybe that's one thing you learn. People take tours not to have somebody to tell them to relax, but to tour and to visit a lot of things. And it's almost a contradiction, isn't it, in some styles of travel? I, I think it definitely is a contradiction. And and the like fact a, of the matter is is that a tour is a dawn-till-dusk marathon of doing stuff. Doing. And how many of us live like that at home? Well, probably too many, but... But if you're on vacation or if you want to... Yeah. Well, it's like taking a tour of an ashram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't right. work. Yeah. I remember Carl told me you had some sort of an anniversary when you turned, I forget what the, the threshold day was, but 55 maybe or something like that, or 45. <laughs> and you said, this is it. I'm done killing myself. I'm just going to cruise on out of here now. And I thought, well, when I'm 45, I'll, uh, I'll have a different outlook too. But here I am 50, and it uh, hasn't hit me yet. But that really, that really was a challenge when he told me, now I'm on easy street. No more stress in my life. It's just not yeah. worth it, Rick. Right, well, yeah. It hasn't happened quite that way, yeah. but it, it was a different choice for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 It's 877-333-RICK as our People's Guide to Mexico continues on Travel with Rick Steves. Man Turaj hastam va ba Rick Steves safar mikunam. I'm Turaj. This is Farsi for I'm traveling with Rick Steves. Man Turaj hastam va ba Rick Steves safar mikunam. 877-333-7425. That's our phone number and the email is radio at ricksteves.com. I'm talking with uh, Carl Franz and Lorena Havens, co-authors of The People's Guide to Mexico, which is its 13th edition. We've got uh, Melly on the line from Redondo Beach in California. Hi, Melly. Hi. How are you doing, Rick? We're great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. You got some uh, comments for Carl and Lorena? Yes. Well, let me give you a background. I grew up in Mexico and Mexican. You can pick up the accent now. Sure. And uh, I'm from Guerrero, the state of Guerrero, and the name of the city is Iguala, which is close to Tasco, Guerrero, and it's out of Mexico City. And uh, I came to U.S. to study my master's degree. I met my husband and lived here in U.S. in California. I take my husband every, almost every year we go to Mexico to see my relatives. Everybody's there. So I get all the experience. So you know, the insider experience of Mexican, seeing how they treat uh, tourists or Americans and also the other way. 
I agree with uh, the authors of the book that uh, Mexicans are very open. Like, they like Americans if you are just simple, if you are humble, if you try to speak the language, they open the house to you. Even they just met you a minute ago and they are eating, they welcome you to, to come and eat. Or like your example that, you know, you don't have a, a place where to sleep and they will say, well, why don't you stay here? Which sometimes I don't see that over here. It's a little bit different, but I guess it's just the way cultures are. It's a cultural difference. Melly, what part of Mexico are you from? South. Southern Mexico is the south of uh, Mexico City. Now, how would southern Mexico change from northern Mexico? Is there a, a big difference? Uh, yes, definitely. Like a difference in food, the food, the the people, the way businesses are run. How it how is, are the di- businesses run differently? Uh, well, if you are more to the towns, like I call it small town, like. Comparing to Mexico City, something like where I grew up is almost a million people. It's a small town because it's close to Mexico City. It's more like family-owned. It's like like uh, your guests were saying that families first. They, they have businesses, but if there is something urgent, they close their store and they have to be with their relatives who are sick or, or they have a need. I went to Italy in November, and I see um, much similarity with the culture, like uh, life and... Hmm. Italian and and Mexico. So if you like Italian culture, you can uh, relate to Mexican culture. Yes, yes, definitely. Melly, this is Carl. I I have a question for you. Uh, By the way, I agree with you about Italy. I was in Italy a long time ago, and it made me homesick for Mexico. Yes, what what do you miss most about Mexico as as a Mexican living in the United States? Uh, how would describe like the openness of people like in Mexico? I don't know if it's the place I grew up that you know your neighbors. I remember growing up that there was always people in in the house, neighbors, my brothers, friends, and coming in and out and having a snack, people going in and out, and you knew if there was someone who was having some problems or they were sick, people going to the hospital or taking them food or helping each other. Is that because that we're, we're trying to be more self-sufficient here in, Amer- in the North America and in Mexico? People need each other more, would you say? I think so, and also because maybe here, like my husband and I, we have both work, and we just come home, and the only thing we want to do is just stay home, and we don't have time to go outside and socialize that much with the neighbors. It's a different world. Melly, thank you for your call. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Bye now. And enjoy Mexico. (laughs) We will. (laughs) Thank you. Let's uh, talk to Elliot in New York City. Elliot, it looks like you just bought a condo in Mazatlan, eh? Yes, that's correct. Uh, we did buy a condo in Mazelin. My wife and I have been to Puerto Vallarta approximately 30 times, and uh, we uh, w- one year, instead of going to uh, Puerto Vallarta, we took a trip to Mazelin, and we liked it a lot. We went back to it a second time, and uh, we saw a uh, development uh, right on the ocean that looked uh, wonderful. And we decided that we wanted to reinvent our lives, that we wanted to... Uh, we don't use the word retirement, by the way. We... We say that we're going to drastically alter our lifestyle in a manner which will not involve working any longer. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, to, to me, retirement uh, is a connotation of old and feeble, and uh, we, we don't want to go down there and be old and feeble. We, we want to get down there before we're old and feeble so we can basically be reincarnated without dying. Now, you, so, and you know what you're getting into then? Um, yes, well, we've been to Puerto Vallarta approximately 30 times. We've been to Mazelin, I think, we're up to about six or seven times. Uh, but there's there's a lot of support groups down there. The building that we bought in, um, there's two towers. Um, the tower that we're in is about 80% gringo and 20% Mexican. The tower tower right next door is the opposite. It's about uh, 80% Mexican and 20% gringo. Uh, there's 50 units in each tower, and it's uh, really a beautiful place. There's about 6,000 U.S. citizens currently living full-time in Mazatlan, do you have any uh, suggestions for people? You haven't actually moved down there yet, right? You're planning on doing this. Well, the unit's being built. 
Uh, we go down there every few months and uh, should be ready later this year. As far as uh, suggestions, um, I, I think that the b- biggest thing that comes up is that you should not go down there and expect to earn a living. Basically, the only way that you're going to go down there and earn a living is if you're either working for a United States company and uh, perhaps working uh, out of your home while you're there, you know, working over the Internet, or if you're selling timeshare. Timeshare sellers can do very well. They can make apparently you know, a couple of thousand dollars a week selling timeshare, but you cannot expect to go down there and get a job as a bartender or an entertainer and, and make a living that way. So you, you do have to go down there with the resources to be able to, uh, to live without uh, an income. Yeah, this is Carl. I I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, we get many emails from people. For example, uh, I'm a nurse or I'm a dentist. Uh, I do this or that, and I'd like to go to Mexico and make a living. And, and our response is, why do you think that millions of Mexicans are pushing north toward the border and trying to get into the United States? If there were that kind of employment opportunities, they'd be filling them. You know, what's changed a lot over the past 30 years from the time when you first wrote your book in 1972 till, till now is um, the Internet. And the amount of information available is, is, is simply phenomenal. There's various Yahoo groups on, on almost every area. You know, for Mazlin, there's the Moz Info group. There's a Mazlin Chat. There's Moz R&R. Um, you know, for Puerto Vallarta, I think there's Southside Puerto Vallarta now. And uh, there's a very good website, I think it's called the Raleigh Brook, Raleigh Brook website, that has a huge amount of information on it about uh, moving to Mexico. And um, these are all things that people have got to spend, you know, not just a few hours, but probably days uh, investigating and studying so they understand what they're getting into. Elliot, if I wanted to buy a comfortable condo with an ocean view in Mazatlan, what would that cost me? Well, an ocean... Ocean View, um, a, a resale for, it, let's say, a, a two or three bedroom would, would run you less than 120000 In fact, probably even about 80000 for a resale. If you wanted to buy new construction, in the past couple of years, prices in Mazatlan have started to go, go, start to go sky high. Um, Mazatlan is sort of at the tail end of, of the real estate boom in, in Mexico, uh, uh, Cabo, I think, was on the West Coast. Cabo was, was the first area, I think, to start going very expensive. Then Puerto Vallarta has followed shortly thereafter. And Mazatlan seems to be picking up the pace now. There's a toll road going from Durango to Mazatlan. Uh, it should be finished within a year or two. That will enable somebody to make it, um, or almost make it, from Houston to Mazatlan in a very long day's drive. Um, as it is now, you can make it from uh, Arizona to Mazatlan uh, by, you know, strictly by toll road. It's about 750 miles from the border of Arizona to Mazatlan. You can do that in one day. So there's toll roads. These are highways. Yes, they're called uh, quotas. Um, you uh, you pay a toll. Uh, for example, a few weeks ago, we drove from Mazatlan to Guadalajara, and it's um, about 70 percent uh, quota or toll road. Tolls each way were about 45 U.S. dollars, but part of the toll that you pay includes insurance coverage. Hmm. So if you're if you're in an accident on the toll road, your toll is paid for insurance coverage. Not that you don't have it already, but, hmm. but this way everybody's you can be sure that everybody has insurance that's on that road. Oh yeah, thanks for your uh, insight and good luck in Mazatlan. Well, thank you very much, and uh, nice talking to you. And I'll uh, follow your show in the future. Take care. Bye now. I'm talking with Carl Franz and Lorena Havens, uh, co-authors of The People's Guide to Mexico, and they have a website, which is simply peoplesguide.com. Now, you live in Washington State. When you go back to Mexico, what sort of symbolically makes you home in Mexico? Well, frankly, simply being there, I, I always relax, both emotionally or, and, and physically. You know, you put your sandals on, you quit worrying about... I don't know, what's on television tonight, et cetera. And it's simply a relaxed atmosphere. And that, to me, is something it's very hard to define, but it's also very real when you experience it. If you can't capture that when you're in Mexico, you'll never be quite comfortable. Well, another thing for me, when I get down there, the first thing I usually feel is I survived the United States. I'm back in Mexico again where I'm safe. Safe how? I'm far less threatened down there. Really? You feel, as a gringo in Mexico, you feel safer than you do up here. There's no one going to come into a fast food store and shoot 30 people. Right. 
You know, there's not the people on the freeways. There, there isn't this random violence. I'm sure it'll slowly begin to get there. Mm-hmm. But the violence in Mexico is much more of a personal violence. People get mad at each other. Yeah. They may shoot each other. It's not this violence that just sort of takes in whoever is standing by you. There's no um, antagonism towards Americans that you feel these days? No, no. no. In fact, Because that's I, a major concern for a lot of travelers. And I have never felt that. I really have never felt that. It's in 30 whole, years, there's been no change in that little meter of how, how warmly yeah, Americans are received. You know, Mexicans typically do not like the American government, and they typically love Americans, especially if you're polite. Now, mm-hmm. that's so important. And here's a cultural difference. In, a, in America, if you go up to somebody, a stranger, and shake their hand with a really firm handshake and slap them on the shoulder and say, hey, what's up? That's considered straightforward, honest, open, etc. In Mexico, that's almost all of that is offensive. First of all, you shake hands with a very light touch because if you crush somebody's hand, that's very challenging, very offensive. Hmm. You don't ask somebody directly, how's it going? You use uh, different expressions, you know, good afternoon, how have things been? It's all very non-direct. What a miracle to see you again, even if I saw what you. What a miracle to see you. Yeah, that's, that's, what, a, that's right. a phrase. And yeah. if I had said oh, yeah. it, if I saw you that morning, I would say it again at noon. Talk about medicine. Yeah, that's a big attraction for people traveling to Mexico. Well, we now have medical vacations. Mexican medications are generally cheaper than those in the United States, but the selection is more limited. The quality control is, in some cases, more dubious. For example, uh, I spoke with an American physician who works extensively in northern Mexico, and he said, you know, these small pharmacies that don't have reliable electricity can't keep these medications refrigerated the way they should be. But in general, the Mexican medication industry is quite modern easily available. There's now a chain of discount pharmacies throughout Mexico called Similares, and they sell discount and generic medicines. I saw Viagra advertised in almost every window of a pharmacy. Yeah, right. And you can go into a pharmacy and say, for example, although they're controlling prescription medicines much more than in the past, there'll be a doctor associated with that pharmacy, a quick visit, a quick prescription, and you walk out with a legal prescription. So you don't have to go to a doctor. They got the doctor on call in the pharmacy, basically. So over Usually the, next door or upstairs. Making more things virtually over the counter. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a loophole, really. Right. But there are the things there are the seriously controlled medicines up here. You're not going to go down there and get them. No. And you're not going to be able to bring a seriously controlled medicine back over to the border very easily. They're very strict on what comes across the border. You have to have your prescription with you, and you, or you're limited by how much you can take. You've spent half your adult lives in Mexico. Bugs. I, I think I've been bitten by just about every one of them, at least one of each one. Uh, just a really not, not a problem, not a problem. Hammocks and bugs? Well, yeah. I mean, mosquitoes have a good mosquito repellent. We usually have some of the most nasty ones you can get, you know, something like um, cutters. But most of the time, I use an organic one. Green Band from Australia is my favorite. The other thing I use all the time is a thing called Stingies. You can get it in any outdoor section of a, you know, a major store. And it's like a, something like a Novocaine that deadens a pain, mm-hmm. antihistamine. You know, I put that on up and get a bite, and they, they go away. So, you know, they're minor. Not a big deal. Not a big concern no, for travelers. No. Quetzalcoatl. <laughs> well, some people predict that he's going to come back in the shape of a Mexican politician. <laughs> now, for people who don't know Quetzalcoatl, <laughs> right. well, Quetzalcoatl was the uh, messiah, basically. Yeah. And according to their scripture, pre-Columbian, right. they, they believed... Some guy, big white guy on a ho- on a horse, would come in, and it would be like the mes- the the savior, this messiah. I don't yeah. think they had him on a horse, but Cortez definitely took yeah, advantage Cortez, of that. Uh, Cortez used legend. that quite a, quite effectively. So he he arrived on the year that the messiah yeah. was supposed to come, according yeah. to their stars. Right, and he ha- fit the description of uh-huh. this guy. And my understanding is, a handful of uh, conquistadors basically 
took over the country because they just said it's the Lord or whatever they would. Well, there's a wonderful book uh, called The uh, Conquest of Mexico, and, and it's the modern version by the British author, and I wish I could remember his name, but it escapes me. He gives a wonderful explanation of why Cortes and this so-called handful of conquistadores could take over Mexico, and it's basically because behind them they had about 100,000 very angry Indians who were a little bit fed up with being sacrificed. And, oh, and Cortes their, mobilized the uh, downtrodden yeah, locals. The, the local people. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because Mexico was not uh, just one big monoculture. It was hundreds of local feudal tribal groups, many of whom didn't like each other at all. And so Cortes was very, very effective in mobilizing those people huh. to his cause. He was clever. He was very clever. He was diabolical. Wow. Yeah. And he just really had his way. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Rick, another thing that with the way the Spanish came in, they basically came in, the conquistadores, men. And throughout history, it was the men who came in. They killed off a large part of the population in various ways, but they intermarried with the, the local populations. And so Mexico today is a mixture of Spanish and all the various local uh, groups. In the U.S., families came over, and they wiped out the local population. So we basically have a European America, and we have a mixed culture Mexico. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, we don't really, we didn't have that mix no. north of the border. No. no. But it's a major part of the ethnic makeup of Mexico today mm -hmm. is European. The average Mexican Mexi is a mestizo, a mixed, okay. per, a mixed person. I've been talking about Mexico with Carl Franz and Lorena Havens. They write The People's Guide to Mexico, and I just think... All of this discussion about Mexico makes me want to get on an airplane and go south. Carl and Lorena, thanks so much. Yeah, You're great welcome. to be here, Rick. Great thanks. Arriba la luna Arriba la luna Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.